I invite everyone, whether inside or outside, to open your Bibles with me to the prophecy of Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6, through chapter 4, verse 4. A little bit into chapter 3 to a little bit into chapter 4 this morning, picking right up where we left off a couple weeks ago in our series that we're calling Uprooted, the words of Jeremiah. I've taken the title for this message from the first verse of chapter 4, where the Lord says through Jeremiah to the people of God, return to me, return to me. It's an invitation and a glorious one. Return to me, the Lord says. Let me read to you from that part of today's passage, skipping ahead to chapter 4. These few verses are remarkable and beautiful and terrifying. And they teach us the essential nature of true repentance. Let me read them to you. Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. If you will return to me, O Israel, return to me, declares the Lord. If you put your detestable idols out of my sight and no longer go astray, and if in a truthful, just, and righteous way you swear as surely as the Lord lives, that the nations will be blessed by him and in him they will glory. This is what the Lord says to the men of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you men of Judah and people of Jerusalem, or my wrath will break out and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. The Lord says, return to me. Return to me. Return to me. That's quite an invitation. And it is the theme of this passage of Jeremiah. In fact, at least four times, the Lord, Yahweh, invites his people to return to him in this passage, which is quite remarkable because of what we heard last time in chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3. You remember last time, two weeks ago? Last time, the Lord was bringing a charge against his people. Remember that? The prosecuting attorney? They had sinned. They had fallen into idolatry, which was spiritual adultery. He went so far as to call it spiritual harlotry, spiritual whoredom. They had forsaken the Lord and turned to other gods. Do you remember this? We saw that it was shocking and stupid, shameful. And it was the reason that the boiling pot of judgment was going to be poured out on Judah. And so here is the Lord's next word after that, after that, on that. After he charges them with covenant-breaking sin, he invites them to return to him. Return to me. That gives us a glimpse into his heart, does it not? The Hebrew word for return is shuv. Repeat after me, shuv, shuv. Okay, you just learned some Hebrew this morning. Shuv, it means 
to turn or to return or to repent or to come back. Jeremiah actually uses a form of shuv at least 15 times in this short section of the scriptures. It's the most times that shuv shows up in concentration in your whole Bible. So if we're going to learn about repentance, this is probably a really good place to do it. What comes to your mind when I say the word repentance? Now, if you're like me, you probably don't say, yippee, woo, that sounds like fun. Let's do it. All right, let's repent. It sounds kind of like a party word, right? No, it kind of sounds like a downer. Maybe even a harsh word. A finger-pointing word. Repent. A painful word. There is good reason for that. Repentance can be painful. We will see that it requires painful honesty and real change. But here, repentance is pictured as a sweet invitation. It's not a downer. It's not annoying. It's not stifling. It's life-giving. And and that's because of the last part of the title, right? Return to me. To me. It's an invitation not just to turn back from sin, but to turn to fellowship with the Lord. And there is nothing greater. Amen? Amen? (laughs) So let's go back up to chapter 3, verse 6, and see how we get there. And before we jump into that, I'm going to ask you a tricky question. Are you ready? It's kind of a tricky question, so don't rush out and answer right away. Think a little bit before you answer. In the Old Testament, which of the two kingdoms, north and south, Israel and Judah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Which of those two kingdoms was more wicked? Now, don't answer right away. Which of them was more wicked? To answer that in your own mind, think back once again to the book of Kings, which we studied together in 2016 and 2017. So you have to access some old files there. In 1 Kings, there used to be one kingdom under King David, and then after he died under King Solomon, his son. But then in 1 Kings chapter 12, it was split into two, north and south. Israel and Judah. And we did a thumbs up and a thumbs down for all the kings of Israel and Judah. Did this did the how many thumbs up kings did the northern kingdom of Israel have? Big fat zero. Zero, right? Okay. Did the southern kingdom have any thumbs up kings? Yes, it did. Kings like Hezekiah and this one right here in chapter three, verse six, Josiah. We learn in chapter 1 that Jeremiah prophesied during the reigns of Josiah, thumbs up, Jehoiakim, thumbs down, and Zedekiah, also thumbs down. And this prophecy that we're going to look at today was originally given during the reign of thumbs up King Josiah somewhere between 627 B.C. and 609 B.C. So it comes early in Jeremiah's ministry. Okay, so here's the tricky question again. You ready? Which of the two kingdoms, north or south, Israel or Judah, which of the two kingdoms was more wicked in the Old Testament? 
All right, how many vote for the northern kingdom? Raise your hand. Okay, how many vote for the southern kingdom? The answer may surprise you. Now, one more thing to note before we read. Remember that the northern kingdom has been sent into exile in 721 B.C. And Jeremiah chapter 3 comes somewhere between 627 B.C. and 609 B.C. So how much later is that? Anybody do math in your head? Curtis, you're you're our math guy, right? Israel goes off into into exile in 721. This one takes place somewhere between 627 and 609. Approximately how many years? What's that? A hundred. Yeah, that's exactly right. You beat Curtis, the guy's in the middle here. All right, a hundred years, right? So now, listen to the question that Yahweh asks Jeremiah. You ready? Chapter 3, verse 6. During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. Now stop there for a second. Do you get the picture? The Lord starts a conversation. It's it's really more of a monologue with Jeremiah. Jeremiah doesn't really get a word in here. He doesn't get to answer. But the Lord asks Jeremiah a question. Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? By the way, that word faithless is a form of shuv. It's like, have you seen what that turned away people of Israel has done? The old King James Version has backsliding Israel to get in that idea of a turn. Jeremiah, have you seen what that treacherous shuved shuved northern kingdom has done? What's the answer to that one? Has Jeremiah seen it? No. He, he, there hasn't been a northern kingdom for a hundred years, right? Curtis is over here going, it's between 94 and 112. That's what he's doing, yeah. There hasn't been a kingdom in the north for a hundred years. That's like saying, hey, Simon, have you seen what President Harding has done? President Harding was the, ki- was the not the king, the president here in the U.S. 100 years ago. Anybody remember President Harding? Nobody in this room was living during President Har- Har- Harding's tenure. So what is he saying? Well, Jeremiah knew the story. He knew that the people of the northern kingdom were unfaithful to the Lord. They had shuved. They had prostituted themselves with other gods. Now listen to verse 7. It's a doozy. I thought, this is Yahweh talking, I thought that after she had done all this, she, Israel, would return to me, shuv to me. But she did not. And her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. Two things there. First, it almost sounds like the Lord thought he had made a mistake. I thought this would happen, but then it didn't. What a miscalculation on my part. Silly me. It's shocking language to get across his point. Remember, the Lord is picturing himself like a jealous, jilted husband. In the metaphor, the husband is married to two wives. Two sisters, in fact, which is not something the Lord recommends. But it happened in this story when the kingdom split in two. All metaphors break down at some point. 
And in this metaphor, one of the wives, one of the sisters, goes rogue and starts sleeping around on the husband. Second thing, the other sister saw it. Now, who's that in this story? Who's the other sister? Judah, the southern kingdom that Josiah is king over and Jeremiah is prophesying to. Judah saw how Israel acted and did not learn anything from it. Verse 8, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all of her adulteries, off into exile at the hands of the Assyrians. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. In spite of all of this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. You see what's happened? Now the prophet Ezekiel had a similar prophecy, though it's more graphic, in Ezekiel chapter 16. You may want to read that this afternoon. The second sister saw what happened to the first sister, and she didn't think much of it. Oh, well, (laughs) that. In spite of all this, he says, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me, shuv, with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. Only in falsehood, only a fake repentance, only a pretend return. I have four points of application this morning that all relate to repentance, that all describe what it means to truly return to the Lord. And here's the first one. Get real. Repentance means get real. Judah faked some repentance, but you can't fool the Lord. He knows our hearts. He knows that Judah saw how Israel had run around behind his back and had been severely punished for it and how Judah just didn't really seem to care. Oh yeah, that happened. No biggie. Perhaps Judah was frightened temporarily by what she saw Israel get. And so she cleaned up her act a little bit. But it sure didn't stick. Perhaps the Lord is describing the reforms made under Josiah. This prophecy came during the reign of Josiah. Josiah went through the nation, taking down altars to foreign gods. Josiah read the book of the law that had been found in the temple and started to make changes across the southern kingdom. He was thumbs up. But apparently his nation was only skin deep in their repentance. Because look what Judah has gotten herself into. Okay, so can you now guess the answer to the tricky question? Verse 11. The Lord said to me, faithless Israel, in the north, is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. In the end, the southern kingdom was more wicked than the northern kingdom. Why? Because they had the example of the northern one and ignored it. 
Neither of them are righteous. But the South was worse. They just pretended to change. How about you? Is your repentance real? Repentance is not just something we do at the beginning of the Christian life. It is also something we do or should do every time we are freshly confronted with our sinfulness. Martin Luther famously said that the Christian life is a race of repentance. I like that. A race of repentance. Are you learning from how anyone else is running their race? Do you look at the negative examples of the people around you and take a clue? Oh, well, when they fell into that sin, that was the consequence. I, I should take note of that. Or do we just say, I'd never do that. Or those dummies, they got caught. Get real. He knows. He can see. You can't fool him. Now, this next verse is amazing. It's the first of four invitations. And look whom he is inviting. Look at verse 12. He says to Jeremiah, Go, proclaim this message toward the north. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. (laughs) Isn't that something? In verse 12, the Lord invites the northern kingdom. Judah's Judah's listening, right? But he's, he's he's inviting the northern kingdom who are scattered in exile to return to him. Return, faithless Israel. Remember, faithless comes from shuv as well. In Hebrew, this is shuvah, meshuvah. Turn, O faithless ones. Come here. Turn back, O turned away. I know I sent you away, but you're still invited to return. Doesn't that reveal the Lord's heart to you today? This is who he is. I will frown on you no longer, for I am merciful. The word for merciful there is chasid. It comes from our chesed, that word that means loving kindness or loyal love or faithful love. It's hard to translate because it's kind of both grace and, and uh, loyalty, faithfulness, all in, in one word. They have been faithless, but he is faithful. And if they repent, he will not be angry forever. He says, return to me. If you are listening to this message, then it is not too late for you to repent. It is not too late. Some people think they're far, they're too far gone. I talked to a man this week who was afraid that he might be too far gone for God's mercy. But listen to God's heart. I will frown on you no longer. You know that idea of his face shining on you? You've lost that. It's back. I will frown on you no longer, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. And how much more is that true on this side of the cross? 
where the, where the just wrath of God was satisfied by the sacrifice of his son. We know how he can stay not angry or how he can become not angry. It's not because he loses any holiness, but because holiness meets grace at the cross. Justice and mercy kiss, and we get all the benefit. Return to me. It's not too late. I will not be angry forever. Return to me. But there is a condition. Look at verse 13. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favors to foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. You got to get real. You must acknowledge your guilt. You must take a good, honest look at your heart and confess what is really there. And yes, that is sometimes hard to do. Israel hated to admit to their pervasive idolatry. Remember last week? They're like, oh no, we're good. I didn't do all that. And we hate to admit it when we have been chasing counterfeit gods as well. But you can't truly come to him unless you get real about what is keeping you away. What is keeping you away? Get real. The Lord knows all, already. He knows anyway. You, you can't fool him. In verse 14, the Lord issues the second invitation. And he tells them here why they ought to take him up on it. Look at this. Look at verse 14. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. I will choose you, one from a town and two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. Now, wait a second. I thought he had divorced her. Remember how this chapter started by asking if a husband should take back a wife who had married another man, and that was against the law of Moses? But, but Israel didn't marry another man. She had just played the field. She just scattered her favors, which is far worse, right? But Yahweh says that they're not divorced. Not really. Not, not, not ultimately. Not at least for those who repent and return. Because his love for her. Remember Hosea and Faithless Gomer? Book of Hosea? Same picture. Same story, same deal. And the Lord says that He is going to bring them back as a remnant, one or two at a time, all the way to Zion. He's going to give them better kings this time. All thumbs up kings, all the time. Shepherds after His own heart, like David was at his best, who will lead them with knowledge and understanding. And He says that's going to happen. When? Well, i got some bad news and I've got some good news about that. The bad news is that it won't be for a long, long time. Remember, Jeremiah is a prophecy of a tragedy, 40 years in the making. Israel has already been in exile at least 100 years by now, and they are only coming back in little tiny scattered amounts, hardly enough to speak of in the whole rest of the Bible. But the good news is that when the Messiah comes, in all of His fullness, all of these promises will be fully fulfilled. 
will truly come true. And you can tell that he's talking about the messianic kingdom, the Messiah's kingdom, because he starts to use phrases like, in those days. Look at verse 16. In those days, when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, men will no longer say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It'll never enter their minds or be remembered. It will not be missed, nor will another one be made. At that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. And all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. In those days, the house of Judah will join the house of Israel. And together, they will come from a northern land to the land I gave your forefathers as an inheritance. Do you hear how he's kicked it up into another register? This happens a lot in the prophets where this, this heightened language. In those days, at that time, in those days, you can tell he's kind of looking down the corridor of time and prophesying what it will be like when the kingdom truly comes. And it will be, in a word, blessed. That's point number two. Get blessed. Get blessed. To return to the Lord, you first have to get real, but then get ready to be really blessed. When God's people truly repent, they find that they get truly blessed. At least when the kingdom comes. Then there will be, verse 15, a shepherd after God's own heart. What will his name be? Jesus. That's our, that's our Isaiah passage, right? He's going to come like a shepherd. He's the best shepherd. And he will lead us in knowledge and understanding. Two thumbs up, every thumb up for how he leads. In those days, God's people will have grown and grown and grown. That's blessing, right? And they will no longer say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. That's a little weird, isn't it? Why is that a good thing? Why would it be good for them to forget the Ark of the Covenant? I said to my family last night around the pizza that I should have named this sermon Forgetters of the Lost Ark. Wouldn't that have been great? Yeah, no. It's stacked somewhere in a warehouse in Area 51. Why won't there be the Ark of the Covenant in the kingdom? Because it won't be necessary. It'll be irrelevant. What did the ark stand for? What, what, what was inside of the ark? Somebody yell out to me. What was inside the ark? The law. That's right. A lot of things, but most specifically, the covenant document itself, the, the Ten Commandments on the, the stone tablets. Where will the law be? In the kingdom. Where will it be? This is the promise of the new covenant. Skip ahead to Jeremiah 31, 33. Do you know it? Where's the law going to be? On our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. We won't need the golden chest because the law will be in our chests. The ark served as the symbolic footstool of Yahweh. It stood for his presence, right? It was like his footstool. He was enthroned above it. His feet rested on it, right? He puts his feet on the gold box, right? It's, it's the... It's the Ottoman for him, right? All right? Jeremiah says in verse 17 that they will call Jerusalem the throne of Yahweh. So now the whole city will be the throne, not just there in the Holy of Holies. 
And we know, because we got the New Testament, it'll be even greater and grander than this language that this language has room for. It's going to overflow this language. We cannot fathom the blessing that Jeremiah is writing about here. These are the blessings of repentance. His presence will be so with us. Read this afternoon, read Ezekiel 16, okay? But then go and read Revelation 21. (laughs) Read about the new Jerusalem coming down like a bride and see what happens to the people who see it. It says they will see God. We don't need no Ark of the Covenant. We'll have God himself. Imagine the unity. Verse 18 says that the nation will be reunited, Israel and Judah together again in the land. And verse 17 says that it's even better than that. Gentiles are going to come. All nations will gather in Jerusalem. And the New Testament says that Gentiles get grafted into the people of God. Not just Israel and Judah back together again, but Israel and Judah and the people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Even Pennsylvanians who love to go to curve games. We get to be in that? And here's how good it gets. There will be no more sin. Listen to verse 17 again. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to be sinless. The older I get, I think it's one of the things I look forward to the most. I am so tired of living with my own sinful desires. This is a picture of the total blessedness that is promised to all who will truly repent. If you repent, this is what you get. It's so far from being a downer. It's where life is. To all who will truly answer the invitation of the Lord to return to me. Blessing. The Lord wants to bless them, but sadly, they do not really want that blessing yet. Look at verse 19. I myself said, this is the Lord speaking, how gladly would I treat you like sons and give you a desirable land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn, shuv, away from following me. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. Again, the Lord is pictured as shaking his head at a miscalculation he has made. I thought you, Israel, would be like sons to me, and I would give you the promised land, that, all that Abrahamic promised land, and you could call me dad. But switching figures of speech again, you have been unfaithful to me, causing me grief. And so you have experienced grief. Verse 21. A cry is heard on the barren heights, the weeping and pleading of the people of Israel because they have perverted their ways and have forgotten the Lord their God. Now, some scholars think that right here is a moment of repentance by the people of Israel, and that might be right. 
I think the Israel here is probably standing for all of Israel, both northern and southern kingdoms, probably actually more Judah at this point. Perhaps they are weeping and wailing because Josiah has torn down their sacred altars to foreign gods at all of the high places around the nation, and this is a little taste of their repentance. That's possible. If so, it's not enough. My read, however, is that they're probably crying their eyes out because they're mad that their gods got taken away. Do you ever take away a toy from a kid and it goes, right? All of a sudden you see that sin nature just pop right on out. I kind of think that's what's going on here with Israel. They're protesting the reforms of Josiah. You took our gods away. Look at these heights. They're barren. There's no more altars up here. We get to do our fun stuff. And the Lord is trying to show them the way back. Verse 22, third invitation. Verse 22, return, faithless people. I will cure you of backsliding. That's three shuvs. That's return, shuv, faithless, shuv, people. I will cure you of shuv, backsliding. He's really giving them the shuv, isn't he? That was a joke, sorry. Probably a bad one. Because of how serious this is. He's telling them that they need to take this seriously. And that's point number three. Get serious. Get serious. I think that Yahweh is putting the words out there that they need to say if they're going to be truly repentant. It's kind of like a script. Okay, you mean this? Then you need to say this and mean it. And so far they haven't been willing to say all of these things. This is what they should say. Verse 22, yes, we will come to you. For you are the Lord our God. Surely the idolatrous commotion on the hills and mountains is a deception. Surely in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel and no one else. The Lord is our salvation. From our youth, shameful gods have consumed the fruits of our father's labor, their flocks and herds, their sons and daughters. Let us lie down in our shame and let our disgrace cover us. We have sinned against the Lord our God. Both we and and our fathers, from our youth till this day, we have not obeyed the Lord our God. That's what they ought to say. Did you notice the repetition of his name? Yahweh our God. The Lord our God. The Lord our God. The Lord our God. We have been sinning against the Lord our God. What a terrible deal we have struck. What a terrible price we have paid. These shameful gods have consumed the fruits of our father's labor, their flocks and herds, their sons and daughters. I think that hints at the unthinkable reality of child sacrifice. Sin is shocking and stupid and shameful, and we must take it seriously. But we don't have to stay stuck in it. The Lord invites us to repent. Chapter 4, verse 1. If you will return, O Israel, return to me, declares the Lord. 
If you put your detestable idols out of my sight and no longer go astray, and if a truthful, just, and righteous way, you swear as surely as the Lord lives, and he surely does, then the nations will be blessed by him, and in him they will glory. Do you see how seriously the Lord says that we must take this? Repentance is not a slight thing. It requires us to make real change. Israel had to put away their detestable idols and chart a new and straight course. And look at those three words, truthful, just, and righteous. Those are not playing around. Those are not just play acting. Those are not, they're not fake or skin deep. This goes down into the heart. Repentance is a heart issue, truthful, just, and righteous. Verse 3, This is what the Lord says to the men of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. Get down deep. Repentance has to go below the surface and break up the hard ground of our stony hearts. Did you all see the the rototilling job that John Mike and his dad did out on the Ark Park yesterday? Did you see that? It looks really great. There's going to be a lot more soft landings now that they've tilled up that hard ground. Thank you to John and Shane. The Lord wants us to do that to our hearts. In verse 4, he uses another cutting word. He uses the word circumcise, which emphasized the cutting away of flesh to symbolize the cutting away of sin and the marking of someone out as belonging to the Lord. Verse 4 circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Not physically, that was already true of the Jewish men. Circumcise your hearts, you men of Judah and people of Jerusalem, or my wrath will break out and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. His message is simple. Get serious or get seriously burnt. Get serious at the heart level. Consecrate yourselves. Dedicate yourselves. Turn away from your idols. Or else. Sadly, we know how this story ends. We know what they did with these words. They did not heed them. Remember, Jeremiah is a prophecy of a tragedy. We got that in the first three verses of the scroll, of the first three verses of the book. Next time we'll see what is coming on Judah because they will not answer this invitation. And yet he holds it out to them. He shows them his heart. He reveals his heart to us today. He's saying to you and me, return to me. Return to me. Shuv, come. Remember the emphasis is on him here. It's return to me. And that's point number four and last. Get God. Get God. If you and I repent, we don't just get blessing. We get the fount of every blessing. If you will return, O Israel, return to me, declares the Lord. And verse 2 says, then the nations, not just Israel, not just Judah, but you and me as well, the nations, will be blessed by him, and in him they will glory. If we repent, we get God. And there is nothing greater 
Amen? Amen.